thanks for listening to the Big Moves podcast. My name's been Michael. You've been listening to me chatting with Devin, and I hope you have a great day. Cheers. So put me on the spot. Welcome to the Big Moves Podcast. I'm your host, Devin, and each episode, I have the pleasure of chatting with a special guest about a big move they've made, relocating from the home they knew to live like a local in a brand new place. In the 90s, my whole family moved from Toronto to Australia for a year, and that time really influenced the way I travel, the way I view the world, and the way I define home. So travel along with us every other Wednesday as we explore what inspires us to make big moves, what leads us new places, and what calls us home. That's all here on the Big Moves Podcast. Michael, thanks for coming on the Big Moves Podcast. My pleasure. Great to be here. I'm pumped. Um, as I mentioned, we're kind of in this time when we can't really travel, so we're going to talk about it instead. Um, so walk me through, you, if we circle back to 2006, you were a young man, your hair might have been blonder at the time. It's possible. <laughs> um, you decided you needed to change, you had grown up in Toronto, is that right? Yep. And then decided you just wanted a little bit of a shift, so where did you decide to go? Yeah, so I just uh, was in the process of graduating university I was doing teachers college at the same time and I wanted a little bit of a change so I decided I would uh, teach in the UK they were looking for teachers and uh, I thought it would be an interesting experience to do something different and get my first job outside of the you know outside of the province outside of the country even and uh, hopefully learn some things and be able to bring back those skills when I came back to Ontario nice and you knew the language so that helped (laughs) Yeah, it's great that they speak English. That was very, very helpful. So it wasn't a a giant learning curve. Yeah. And was it an easy choice for the UK? Did you consider a bunch of places or was that sort of always where you wanted to go? Uh, I think I always wanted to go to the UK. I had just become a citizen not long before that, since they had changed the laws to allow me to claim citizenship under my mother because she was born in Glasgow. So I became a British citizen earlier that year. And uh, I thought it'd be easy for me to get a job over there. I didn't have to go through all the visa processes so i thought the uk would be a great place i initially thought i would go to scotland but i ended up in england nice and was it did you get a visa for or sorry i guess you need a visa did you have a specific timeline in mind did you think i'll go for six months or i'll go for a year um i knew i wanted to go for a year and there was a possibility of extending to two years but um i definitely knew i wanted to go for a year it was kind of a you know allow myself to establish and get the whole calendar cycle through once just to see what it was like living somewhere else but sure. I was op- I was open to the idea of staying longer. I just didn't end up staying longer. Nice. And is their school year different? Like in Canada, we go September to June. Was the school year over there a different year? Yeah, they divided up a little bit differently. So they started, at least when I worked there, they started around the same time, like end of August, early September. But they break up their holidays a lot differently than we do. So right. where we normally have two weeks at Christmas and then a March break and then a summer vacation with the odd days off here and there, they have what are called half terms. So after each half term, there's a week off. So you get a week off in like October, then they do two weeks Christmas break, which is the end of the term. Then they'll do a week off in February, which is half term, then two weeks off around Easter break. Then they'll do a week off in I think June, which is half term or May, June, I forget when it was. And then they'll do a six week uh, summer holiday before they come back. So it breaks up the year a little bit differently. 
It does. That's similar. I went to uh, school in Australia for a year when I was a kid, like 10, 11. And yeah, same thing. It's, it's like a two weeks here, two weeks there, and then a little bit longer at Christmas, a little bit longer because that's their summer, obviously. Right. So it changes based on that. Too. I kind of liked it because you were never more than like six weeks away from a holiday. So Totally. And I think this pandemic, I don't know how, how we're, obviously work is very different for you, but it's uh, I think people are starting to get the idea of this four day work week might be a nice thing, you know, with some extra days off or or changing things around a little bit. But um, that's cool. And so you you went and where did you decide on going? What what town did you end up in? So I ended up in uh, a little town called Cowes on the Isle of Wight, which is a little island off the south coast of England uh, near Southampton. And uh, I didn't intend to go there originally, but um, I had applied. So to, in order to teach overseas, I went through an agency that was recruiting. Okay. So I had kind of signed up with them. I did an interview with the agency. And then they had people from that particular school that I worked at flew to Canada to try to recruit teachers because they were looking for, I don't know, I guess they had a shortage, a shortage of teachers over there or something. And so I interviewed with the first school that I interviewed with, and then they offered me a job. So I thought, hey, why not? How did the interview process work? Like, was that over Skype at that time, or was that pre, pre-video pre things? Uh, no, it was they they flew to Canada, and we interviewed downtown somewhere at a hotel. Nice. That's easier. <laughs> they put a little bit of money into it, I guess. And what is the Isle of Wight? Is it known for anything? Like, like would listeners have heard of it for any reason? Or It is. Uh, it's a holiday destination, usually. So they are really, really... Uh, really, really populated in the summer, mostly, and not so much <laughs> in the winter. Uh, their cows is known for a big like, sailing regatta they have every year and cool. Cows Week. But uh, uh, I'd only heard of the Isle of Wight from the Beatles song, When I'm 64, when Paul McCartney says, every summer we could rent a cottage in the Isle of Wight if it's not too dear. Nice. <laughs> that was my only only knowledge of the Isle of Wight at the time. But, That's a uh, pretty good reference. That's pretty good to know going in. Yeah, I remember That's singing awesome. it at karaoke once on the island thinking I would be impressive, but they, they were, they were not faced. Nobody cared. <laughs> uh, and it's like, it's a seaport town, right? So it's right on, like you're kind of. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of sailors in town. A lot of the pubs nice. are named like, you know, the waterside or the anchor. I want to get into some good travel stories and things like that. But before we do, uh, we have a little segment that we're calling the runway rundown. So it's just like a, some lightning round questions about how you travel. So people know you getting there. The runway the rundown. Runway, runway, rundown. Okay. So are you super early on time or late for flights? Super early. 100% okay. super early. I'm like at three, four hours. Nice. And sit there just like people watching, just, you know, you're ready to go. <laughs> I just want to make sure that I got everything in order because otherwise I freak out. So I get there yeah. super early and then I'll just sit in the terminal, drink a lot of coffee and just wait for a boarding. And are you a carry-on only or overpacker? Overpacker. Nice. 100%. I never know what I'm going to want. I always think, oh, I could want to wear this or I don't know if I'm going to need this. And, but it was harder too because I was packing for a year. So no I had to throw as much as I could into one one giant bag and different weather right you're like oh maybe it'll rain a bunch then there's gonna be summer then there's gonna be this yeah gotta yep. be covered for everything uh what's your guilty pleasure at the airport or something you buy or do when you're there i think just i overdo it on the coffee yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't i actually i'm kind of i really love looking at the duty-free shop so i'll sometimes buy you know a little bit over buy on perhaps some of the whiskey products nice yeah. so nice. i have i have been known to take an extra bottle home which i perhaps went over my limit on more than one occasion. <laughs> That's all right. It happens. Are you a window seat, aisle seat, or middle seat? Uh, window all the way. 
Like I will do aisle if I have uh, I'm traveling with someone in their particular, but uh, I do like the window because you can kind of be in your own, be in your own world, look outside and see the you know see the clouds go by and not get disturbed anytime somebody has to go to the bathroom. Exactly, and kind of see when they do that sort of banking when you're coming in, right, and see it before you're there, which is always kind of cool. I love flying, you... so I like the process. So I don't mind even like in turbulence. I'm I'm very fascinated by the whole process, so I like looking out and seeing what's going on. Nice. And are you the chatty neighbor, or are you like sleepy, leave me alone, I want to sleep neighbor? Um, somewhere in between. I'm just kind of stick to myself. I don't really open up conversations unless something happens. I might say something to my neighbor, but I'm not. Uh, I have no, no real interest in getting into huge, deep philosophical conversations. I do like to kind of spend time by myself. Yeah, I feel like there's like, you know, if you want to be friendly enough, say hello, get to know them so you can, you know, sneak past them if you need to. But yeah, not become best friends. Although I do know a couple who met on a plane and got married. So, I mean, it can happen. Well, that's cool. I will make a joke (laughs) if something happens or the pilot says something that's, you know, there's an opportunity to say something humorous just for the sake of, you know, I'll do that. But otherwise, that's about it. Yeah, and longer flights are different too. What's your drink service drink when they come around with a little cart? Uh, usually I'll just get a Diet Coke. Nice. More coffee, more coffee and a Diet Coke. Yeah, I will say coffee, <laughs> yeah, coffee and a Diet Coke, probably. It's <laughs> mostly because alcohol like, is expensive. It's true, and it's so little, they never even give you the yeah. whole, whole thing. Um, are you, like, pretzels or cookie, like, salty or sweet? Uh, pretzels, I'm more of a salty, yeah, more of a salt yeah. fan. Yeah, and what's your in-flight entertainment choice? Are you listening to something, watching something... Sleeping. I'll usually watch movies. Nice. I remember one like, flight back from England. It was an eight-hour flight, and I think I watched four movies. <laughs> so you got to squeeze them in as soon as you're up there. And I just can't, I can't sleep on a plane for some reason. I've never been able to do it. I've never been able to go out for more than, like, half an hour at a time. So yeah. I just need to fill my brain with something. And it's a weird sleep because even when you're sleeping on a plane, I always feel like you're sort of aware of what's going on because it's kind of loud. Like, the airflow is just different. Everything just feels a little bit odd. Definitely not a deep sleep. Okay, so when you were going uh, over to teach, did you, had you ever been? Did you go suss it out and take a vacation before? You just went and were like, hey, I'm moving here for a year. Uh, No, I had been a few times before. My mom had moved to England uh, about three years prior. Yeah. And uh, so I had visited her on several different occasions. And so I was, you know, comfortable with the south of England. I knew kind of how the, you know, how the money worked and, Sort of, yeah. sort of a little bit more about the culture and different phrases that people say, and you know, so I didn't feel like a like an extreme outsider. Right. So I had uh, I was familiar with the area. I'd never been to the Isle of Wight, but uh, I was uh, I'd been to the south of England on numerous occasions. Nice. And where did you end up living? Did you have accommodation set up beforehand, or did you kind of figure that out when you got there? Uh, my mother actually really helped out, and uh, she went to the island beforehand and found me a flat, and nice. ended up uh, getting me the lease agreement signed and you know ready to go so that I had a place when I moved in and she even helped furnishing it with you know simple like buying little tables from what they call uh, car boot sales which is like nice. our markets or garage sales and stuff but uh, nice so that was, was that was very very helpful you had a place on your own or did you have a flatmate or uh, no I stayed on my own some of the other people nice. that came over there were a bunch of other Canadians that got jobs at various schools on the island and some yeah. of them shared accommodations which in hindsight i probably should have done to save some money because you we weren't paid very much and (laughs) rent was was quite expensive so i don't think i made any money that year but uh 
it, uh, but I ended up staying on my own. And... It was nice to be able to do my own thing and not have right. to not have to be quiet or you know worry about roommates and arguments and you know yeah yeah it's a who gets the bathroom and whatnot exactly. <laughs> and what was sort of a typical day like? Obviously, you were working most of the time, but it was it a quick commute to work obviously moving from toronto big city is very different to then go to like a little seaport town in the south of england so how did it differ for you what felt the most different uh yeah so i lived very close to the water there's a mm -hmm. body of water called the solent which is the it's like in between the island and the mainland okay. so it's like in the english channel but that particular area was called the solent and so outside of the back of my building i could see the mainland and i could see the water and cruise ships going by and and such so it was Definitely different, a different commute because I would walk to work as well. Nice. So, whereas I just had come from university, which could take me over an hour to drive to in Toronto, I was uh, just walking up, walking up through the woods on this like windy flight of stairs to get to the back of my school. And so it was maybe like a 10 minute walk to work. Nice. Very, very different environment. I bet. And how big was the school? Is it pretty small? Is it mostly sort of just local kids or? Yeah, it was mostly local. And I think some, there were definitely kids that were bussed in because it's, it was more of a rural, suburban rural community. Like there were no, there were no cities on the island. They were okay. just sort of towns. Um, but the school had a population of about, I think it was about a thousand or so. Okay. And all from uh, the island. So either from cows or from small towns that were near cows. And what, uh, what grades were you teaching or what years were you teaching? Uh, so I was teaching high school and uh, I taught year nine all the way up through sixth form. Okay. Mostly, um, mostly dramatic, dramatic arts, but I also, uh, the, the way they have scheduling over there, it's not the same where you teach like just three courses for a semester. You kind of have, a, have to teach a little bit of all sorts of different things. So I was even teaching citizenship classes and special education and various things that they had slotted me into. And that was really your first teaching year, right? Other than maybe a, like a position you had had throughout college or through university, but this was your first year as a as a teacher. It was my first time that somebody paid me money to be in front of a classroom and try to impart wisdom on children. So it was it was very nerve wracking, <laughs> awesome. very nerve wracking. Yeah, it's a big deal. That's great. Did the kids love your accent? Like, did they love that you were the Canadian teacher? I think some of them found it interesting, but. For the most part, I think they were just, they're probably very used to having foreign teachers come in. So I don't think it phased them too much. But uh, I did get into some fun conversations with some of the students about how we pronounce words and they would ask questions. Yeah. And I would try to, I would often tell them made up stories just to screw with them about Canada. <laughs> like I think yeah, I told one, one class once that we had a, an entire skyscraper made out of ice. <laughs> and, uh, just try to get them to believe silly things just because it amused me. I was in the States one time I was traveling in high school with some friends and we met some girls from Wisconsin, I think. And we had them totally convinced that I had a pet beaver in the backyard that, you know, we just fed when we needed to. And like the family pet was a beaver. They totally bought it. It's like, oh man, people don't know about Canadian things at all. Holistic World Healing is owned and operated by Natalie Karen, a leader in the wellness industry in Toronto, Canada. Natalie teaches and supports women to their highest potential and guides them in living the life they dream of. Although she is best known for her signature online programs, Healing to Begin and Transformative Meditations, she also co-curates The Wellness Market, an interactive day of wellness, which has also naturally turned into a meeting place where wellness professionals and small businesses meet and network. 
The Wellness Market gives you access to everything new in the wellness world, including classes and workshops where you can experience, connect, and dive into what the wellness world has to offer. Having been to the wellness market in the past, I can vouch for the overwhelming in the best way selection of amazing vendors and offerings, and I highly suggest visiting thewellnessmarket.ca to learn more. To connect with Natalie, who has been a huge part of my own wellness journey and who I can't recommend enough, visit holisticworldhealing.com or find her on Instagram at natalie.karen. Did they sort of warmly welcome you? Like, did you feel like it was home pretty quickly or did it really just feel like somewhere you were visiting? Um, I think it was pretty welcoming, to be honest. Like, uh, mm -hmm. also because I'd been there, been to the country a number of times and my mom lived there, I didn't feel too much like an outsider. And uh, everyone was really nice on staff and the students were, well, that was a, the students were a totally different, uh, different issue altogether. But is we had some, there's some interesting characters in the, British education system. I'll just I'll leave it there for now. But uh, no, I found it generally pretty welcoming. I made some friends on staff. We'd go out to the pub after work sometimes. And uh, I started to feel, yeah, I started to feel at home. And how grounded did you feel? A, having your mom there obviously is a huge part, but did you also feel a little bit more at home because you had some Canadians that you'd gone over with? Did you stay in touch with them through your year as well? Yeah. So we had a few Canadians that were at the, the school that I was working at. And then somewhere at nearby schools or elsewhere on the island. And so it did feel, it was nice. We did stay in touch. So we get together. We even did like a Canadian Thanksgiving because they don't have Thanksgiving over there. But uh, got nice. together with the Canadians and we had turkey on their like rooftop balcony. And uh, so it was That's nice to, to stay in touch. But mostly I didn't hang out with the Canadians too, too much. We, I sort of made new friends while I was over there. And... I think that's a big part of traveling and living somewhere, right? Is you, you do want to sort of immerse yourself in the local culture, especially when you pick a smaller town, right? You want to like feel like you're there and feel like you're part of it and, and get to know people there. Are you still in touch with some of them? Like obviously social media has made that easier. Is that something that you still like, do you still kind of keep up with some of your people from there? When we first mm -hmm. all came back to Canada for the first year or two, we we sporadically got together to trade stories, but we sort of fell out of touch. But uh, yeah. I do have some of my former students on Facebook. Nice. They kind that of found, found me a few years <laughs> later. And so I sometimes will comment on their statuses and when, you know, they'll say something yeah. really political or something. And uh, yeah, but I don't, That's I don't funny. really keep in close contact with almost anybody from over there really. Yeah. And it's hard when time goes by, right? It's kind of like you either have to keep up with someone every day, every week, or it's just a once in a while catch up. Like it, it gets very quickly, very hard to stay in somebody's life daily, right? Exactly. And then when more time passes, it then becomes awkward to reach out. And yet if you were to go back, they probably would be so happy to see you, right? Like there'd probably be a few people that you could just reach out and say, hey, I'm coming. Let's, you know, go out for pint or whatever. Yeah. And I had done that before, actually. Years after that, I'd gone back and got in touch with some of my former colleagues and just said I'm coming back to the island for a bit and they invited me out they some of them had a band that were that was playing at a pub so I went out and watched nice. them play and had had some drinks and it was really nice yeah that's lots of fun and what uh, outside of school what became your main sort of hobbies like what were you spending your time doing there did you travel did you go sightsee or were you just kind of doing the regular thing mostly I did traveling and also um just going to the pub a lot yeah. It was kind of a cultural thing over there. It just everybody went to the pub and that's sort of what I did. So, but I did travel um, and I spent a lot of weekends visiting my mom on the mainland. So it was yeah. a short, like half hour ferry ride. And then 
about an hour or so on the train. And then okay. I would spend some weekends with her and bring my laundry. Nice. I didn't have laundry <laughs> in my building. So I'd have to walk 25 minutes across town with a giant laundry bag in order to do my laundry and wait for it. <laughs> so you're like, I might as well just go to mom's. Kill two birds with one stone. But I did spend a lot of my half terms. Well, I traveled mostly around the UK and Ireland just because yeah. I, you know, I, I really like the UK and Scotland particularly. Yeah. So I remember I, I did go to Dublin for a weekend here and there. I did uh, a week in Scotland, um, did a week up in North Yorkshire or West Yorkshire where I have some family. So nice. got, a, got a chance to get out. And, but weekends were nice to get to the mainland and see some sights. And it's pretty inexpensive once you're over there, right? To travel within like Ryanair or whatever, whatever trains you're taking, like it's, it's pretty cheap option, true? Yeah, I flew a lot of Ryanair. And so I could do like a weekend to Dublin from like, let's say the Bournemouth airport, which is in the south of England for like a 20 pound return trip. Nice. That's crazy. Yeah, it's pretty good. That's I don't great. know if it's that cheap anymore. I'm pretty sure that was a, just a period of time that doesn't exist yes, anymore. Yes, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Um, did you have it? You said you went to the pub. Was there a regular pub that you sort of became your little hang? Uh, yeah, every Friday we would go to um, this pub called the Waterside, which was like on the Waterside. Nice. Aptly, <laughs> aptly named pub, must, I must say. <laughs> Sometimes and, they're not actually on the Waterside, so you know, it's good. But it was usually me, a couple of Canadians, and this one uh, older gentleman from New Zealand named Richard. And uh, nice. we would just call it our, our sessions, or as he would say, our session. <laughs> awesome but he was like our i don't know he was like a guru to us he was you know we just drink and talk about life and it was fun then we'd sometimes go out for indian food after nice that sounds like a lot to do in a small town that's pretty sweet yeah there were there were things to do or just wander around and see what's up although most of the town closed at like five o'clock so it was really only the pubs that were open and did you obviously you you said you were teaching drama and you are an actor did you do any sort of shows or, or get involved in any like theater while you were there was that something you explored uh, no, although I, I do believe it existed on the island. I didn't yeah. really get out and, and look for it. Um, I didn't have a car, and I think a lot of it was off, you know, in a different town. And, sure. But I did stuff with my school. I did some extracurricular stuff with, uh, with the school I worked at, so that kept me, kept me busy. And you ended up staying a year. Was that sort of longer or shorter than you had anticipated? I did think at one point I wanted to stay for a second year and maybe, you know, get a, get become a fully qualified British teacher because you had to go through a different training process. But after a year, I just found it, um, I don't know, I'd had, a, I'd had enough, I think. The students sure. were, were quite challenging and I was starting to miss home. And yeah. I thought I could, uh, you know, at the, at the time I was engaged. And yeah. so I ended up, uh, you know, coming back to plan a wedding and it just, the timing didn't work out. And uh, now I have kids, so I don't know if it's something that I will get a chance to do again. But I wouldn't mind, you know, maybe spending a year with them overseas just to give them an opportunity to to learn and grow in a different country. Totally. Yeah. And I think a year is sort of that sweet spot where it's it does really feel like a big part of your life. Right. It's a full year. But at the same time, when you look back, it's like, yeah, it was a kind of a little blip. Right. It was a great experience, but it didn't take over too, too much. Is there an album or a song or maybe even a movie or show that reminds you of your time there, like something that you kind of absorbed and listened to while you were there? That's a good question. <laughs> I think, um, yeah, there was a few bands that I got into while I was over there. Um, I went to, oh, the Isle of Wight, I should mention, is also known for the Isle of Wight Festival. It's a music okay. fe- music festival they have every year, and like Jimi Hendrix headlined it in like 1970 or something. 
Nice. And, uh, so I did, I did go to the festival while I was there, and there were a number of bands that played there that I had just learned about while I was in in the UK. One of the bands was the Fratellis. They're a Scottish band, and they have a song called Chelsea Dagger, which I nice. I quite enjoy, and it reminds me of uh, reminds me of being back over there and kind of just drinking in the pub and stuff. And, yeah, I feel like music has a way of sort of transporting us back to certain times. And would you say like that year sort of uh, changed the way that you came back here and taught or had any sort of long-term impact on, on your life when you came back? I think as, a, as an educator, it did because I got to mm-hmm. see kind of a very different style of teaching and different philosophies and a different type of student that was... Uh, sure. You know, classroom management over there versus over here, I find incredibly different. Even the really difficult classes you get in Toronto, I find, are nothing compared to the the type of difficult classes I saw over there. I mean, mm-hmm. there wasn't necessarily the threat of gun violence, which you sometimes get in North America. But it was just, a, I don't know, it's very hard to explain. But it was I found mm-hmm. that being able to teach over there made meant that I came back here with a lot more tools in my in my toolbox to be able to deal with some of the issues that come up which is interesting because it was your first year too right so you kind of went throw you into the fire really hot fire the first year and then yeah yeah i remember the first day of school after meeting the students for the first time i remember going back to my apartment and just kind of like falling to the floor in like tears wondering like what the heck am i doing like yeah. How did I how did I make this giant mistake? Yeah, it's huge, right? Yeah, when you're like, oh, okay, I'm alone here. This is I've committed. I've signed a contract. I'm here. Yeah, it was incredibly overwhelming for sure. I got I used bet. to it. And what do you have like I always have a theory that we kind of when we go on these trips, we tell maybe two or three stories that are like our best stories from the trip. Do you have like a couple stories that you still tell? Ah, oh, do I tell oh, do I have stories that I tell? <laughs> I think I do. I think some of them probably aren't appropriate for uh, yeah, the podcast, <laughs> but uh, what was the was there like a highlight for you? Was it one of your you know one of your trips elsewhere, or just like a night in the pub that you remember, or was it just sort of all does it all kind of blur together at this point? It's been such a while now that it it kind of runs like a blur. I think I did like I did like the opportunity to travel. I did like some of the friendships that I made. Um, I did uh, I did make friends with the head of student services over there and we would go out pretty much every Saturday in his town. And so that was that was kind of fun. We'd go out to like um go to the pub. First we drink at his place and we go to the pub and then we go to this club and uh, Nice. It was uh yeah, I ended up spending probably way more money than I should have every weekend. <laughs> But, uh, well, you know, you were, you, were, you were living, living the dream. Visiting um, Scotland was a great opportunity as well. I got to do a lot of stuff on my own, which I really liked. Um, so I went up to Glasgow and Edinburgh by myself and, yeah. you know, got to know the city. And, um, yeah, it was it was quite nice. And getting up to London, it wasn't that far for me to get to London from where I lived. It was a, you know, an hour and a half on the train after a half-hour ferry ride. And then you could be right in the heart of, um, you know, like Victoria Station. And nice. uh, so I did get to see a lot of theater while I was over there, which was nice, too. And I know you've done a lot of sort of like whiskey tours and gone to distilleries. Was that did that sort of start on that trip? Uh, not really. No, that didn't come till till much later, actually. Back then, I wasn't really um, into a lot of fancy things. I just drank whatever beer was cheap. Right. <laughs> or I thought Stella Artois sounded kind of French. Therefore, it must be must be fancy. <laughs> must be really fancy. <laughs> Little did I know. That's awesome. 
But no, that happened uh, years later when somebody gave me a bottle of scotch for uh, a function that I did at a school I worked at, and I kind of fell into it there. And then I've been back nice. to Scotland many times since. And do you have, was there like a favorite pub meal that you had, like whether it's different than here or the same as something we get, might get here? I think the, um, the curry over there is, uh, is far superior, and I got into Indian food while I lived over there. I hadn't really, I was a very like meat and potatoes kind of guy before that, just lack of exposure really which is weird because i grew up in scarborough and i had a lot of (laughs) a lot of indian friends i just never somehow yeah but so did i and we never ate anything we ate very boring like white people food so yeah (laughs) yeah but i uh somebody had introduced me to a couple of indian dishes at a restaurant and i went i first went reluctantly and i found i just loved loved the flavors so i would thank uh, england for getting me into indian food that's a a key thing to take into life one positive byproduct of colonialism i guess (laughs) i don't know do you have uh is there like phrases that you still use that you are like oh that's totally like an english phrase yeah there's one that they say over there a lot it's a greeting that they say and they say y'all right so (laughs) instead instead of saying hey how's it going as i would say they'll they'll be like hi y'all right and when i first uh heard somebody say that to me i mean you ask a Canadian if you're all right, it sounds like they're expressing concern for your well-being. Right. So when somebody said that to me, you're all right? I'm like, yeah, I'm, f- I'm fine. What's what's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> Why are you asking? I don't know you. But I, I do find I say that from time to time now. Just be like, hey, you all right? Or nice. uh, some pronunciations I just picked up while I was over there. Like, uh, I, for some reason, instead of saying battery, I still say battery. Nice. Becomes a two-syllable word. I don't know why that just kind of stuck in my head. I just have to train myself out of that. But, but I remember talking about it once, and I said the word aqua, and they're like, "Sir, it's aqua." <laughs> I'm like, "All right." I love it. Whatever, whatever you say. But no, I did. I did say a lot. Like, "Hey, how are you?" And do they have? Are there like phrases? I know you know, like bangers and mash and things that they call things that are little sort of known that we wouldn't necessarily know. Are there a couple of phrases that you sort of picked up and really liked? Nothing that I particularly, you know, fell in love with or anything, but there yeah. are like little things you have to get to get used to. Like they call trucks lorries. Okay. So they yeah. go lorry just went by or el- they don't say elevator, they say lift. So just getting used to little things, little things like that. But yeah, you know, it's not nothing that um, nothing that really uh, it's not too hard to get to, to get. Yeah, Although like, one really funny, I- one really funny piece was uh, um don't ever say fanny pack while you're in the UK. Because where for us, fanny means bum. In the UK, it uh, you know, applies to a different part of the female anatomy. So if you yeah, say you're wearing fair. a fanny pack, they're, they're going to look at you very funny. Also, well, pants, we had, me, pants yeah. means underwear in the UK. Oh, that's confusing. And if you were to call something khaki... Uh, it usually means like it's uh, got crap all over it. So if you were going to say, I'm going to wear my khaki pants, it's basically to them. It was a colleague of mine made that mistake and the kids laughed because basically they're wearing soiled underwear. Amazing. But pants are trousers had, over there. Trousers. We had a similar thing because like Roots, right? Roots Canada is a big brand, but Root in Australia, yeah, means something much dirtier than like Roots. So they thought it was hysterical whenever we wore like Roots brand sweatpants. Nice. It's not a good thing. We are halfway through season one. Here's a little teaser for the rest of the season. 
many things. Uh, the most important, their food. Peruvian food is amazing. English becomes a flustery thing for a lot of people. I quickly learned there's like an emoji for it. You cross your arms in front of your face <laughs> and you say, Anio, and that just means like, no. Anytime you come into an establishment and then you're like, oh, you greet yourself, you, you say hi and everything, and then start to struggle with the Korean. And then they're like, oh no, this is going to be English. And like, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. Anio, Anio. Like, what he would do is he would record MTV videos, Marky Mark, you know, and the Funky Bunch, and we, he would record it and he would try to repeat those dance moves. And then he said, okay, now you try, right? So I would try, I'm like, okay, you're not bad, not bad. So we created our little boy band, like breakdance group, right? So then he said to me, uh, hey, I was thinking maybe we can compete for like American Got Talent. They had some kind of a show like that. And I was like, let's do it, right? Like, let's give it a shot. So you didn't really do much of anything while you were down there. <laughs> you described an entire lifetime of careers and you did that in eight months. <laughs> so it's interesting because since I was very little, I learned that home is in your heart. I remember there was one evening where we celebrated American and Canadian Thanksgiving. We just kind of picked a point in fall. Everyone, like you couldn't get turkeys. So we just kind of like had a little potluck in one of our little shoebox apartments. and. That was, that felt very much at home. Each, each, uh, the Canadians and the Americans each sung their respective national anthems. <laughs> it was, it was pretty, it was dorky, but it was, it felt homey. It was nice. And this is the first time I kind of felt like I belong somewhere, you know what I mean? Always been kind of like, you're the, the Bosnian kid, you're the Bosnian kid kind of thing. When you go anywhere, really, for more than like a week or so, you come back and you're kind of getting home from the airport and you're like, everything's the same here. And like, I'm different now, right? And especially when it's a longer period, you've gone through all these big, crazy things. You've been seeing different things every day. You've been seeing different people, learning a language, eating different food. And you come back and you're like, oh, I can still just, I could just have the exact same life. Even if it's a good thing, it's, I always find it a little bit odd. <laughs> So you said you have been back and have, when you go back, does it feel like, oh, this place is so familiar? Have you gone to that town or have you, uh, like feel like you kind of can know your way around? Yeah, I've been to that town twice since, uh, since I came back to Canada and uh, yeah, nothing really changes in England. Mm -hmm. I find it's very, you know, it's very slow to adapt to new things where they find over here, buildings are going up all the time. They're tearing stuff down, yeah. new in infrastructure is being put up, but over there, it's very much that same small town. I knew my way around. The pubs were still the same. Maybe one or two shops were slightly different. But uh, yeah. it did it did feel like going back, almost like I never left. So home now, you're still into the Toronto area. Do you think about going back? Like, Is it somewhere that you'd want to take uh, your family? Was it somewhere that you'd want to show the kids at some point? I don't know. Maybe one day, just to be like, mm -hmm. you know, here's where here's where your dad lived for a year. But mm -hmm. uh, I'm not... I mean, it's a, it's a lovely place, but I'm not particularly inclined to it's not to show, the main to, place to you'd kids. want to take it's them not, yeah yeah it's, i mean it's lovely and nothing against if anybody not i don't think anybody from cows is listening but uh <laughs> it is know. a lot it's a lovely town i just don't necessarily feel the urge to yeah show it to everybody and I, I think that's sometimes the way with you know these sort of big moves we do and we go you know what i really want to try this place and it may or may not be a place that you become super connected to or a place that you you know want to keep going back or feel like you leave a part of yourself in it might just be a great experience that was just for that year and you know taught you like you said changed you as an educator maybe changed you as a person a little bit 
Um, but yeah, it doesn't mean it has to be the place. If we were, once we are <laughs> post pandemic, is there a place that you uh, sort of on your bucket list place that you would want to go now? That's a good question. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm pretty boring. Like I know a lot of people have <laughs> these, you know, grand destination ideas. I mean, I think I would like to see the pyramids of Egypt at some point. I've been, yeah, but uh, I just, I, I've been to Scotland quite a few times and I think I just always want to go back. There's always somewhere new I want to explore and I just kind of feel, I feel kind of at home there. So yeah. Is it somewhere you would consider moving and like living short term? I think so. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I talked about maybe taking the kids there for a year or two and since I'm yeah. a citizen, it'd be easier to, easier to find work. But uh, I, I do like it over there, so it's, nice. uh, it's definitely like a, you know, a plan B. On the list, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm picturing, like, the town of Cows, I'm picturing, like, a little seaport. Is there, like, a, a movie that depicts sort of what it's like? Like, um, Man like Manchester by the Sea, which is, like, I was just going to say, or... like, Manchester by the Sea. It's, uh, maybe that might be a good... That's sort of what I'm picturing, Yeah. Just, yeah, small, small town, but because it's England and everything's old, you know, there's a high street where it's very narrow and a pedestrian walking. And it looks like every other English town, to be honest. It just happens to have more yeah. sea-related things in it. Yeah, and so you did, did you take a lot of photos? Um, you weren't as much of a photographer then maybe as you are now, but um, did you take lots of photos and sort of have those up there or go through, like, slideshows when you got home? Did you kind of talk about it once you got back? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I did take a lot of photos. And... Um, I mean, the thing about travel photos is nobody really cares to see them. So, yeah. I mean, now we live in a world where Facebook is a lot more prevalent. So people post them anyways, and you're kind of inundated with Instagram pictures of everybody's vacation. But back yeah. then it was kind of, you'd have to sit somebody down and walk them through your time. And it was a whole year. So most of my photos are just for my own, for my own memories. And I go through yeah, them exactly. from time to time, but... I think that was like the era of Facebook albums too. Like now it's sort of like you post one picture or two pictures, but I think that was like when you did a full album for, right? For I remember for while I was over there was when I first heard about Facebook. So it was just becoming like a global thing back then. And even yeah. the, the people in England had never heard of it. So I'd heard of it because my Ontario friends were getting into Facebook. Back then they used other things like MySpace and Bebo was a big one they had as well. I've never even heard of Bebo. Yeah, That's it was awesome. a, it was a thing I in the I, I think it was in the UK in like 2000, you know, around the time I was there, all the kids were on it. That's awesome. I think I still have a MySpace somewhere. I'm sure I could find it. Tom does. <laughs> Tom does. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. And would you say that year, doing a year somewhere rather than like short-term travel, did that sort of change the way, like, is that something you recommend to people, especially, I guess, people looking to teach? Like, is that something that you would say is a good way to experience another place? Yeah, I really do. I think traveling and visiting for a short period of time is one thing, but to actually live there and have to... Mm -hmm. You know, even though, I mean, it wasn't like I moved somewhere really, really foreign, but just to live in a different place where people had slightly different views on things and you had to get used to different currencies, different town, different, uh, yeah, it's, it's like different way of life. I think it's, uh, it's a really good experience because it allowed me to kind of discover a bit of who I was, start, start yeah. fresh somewhere. And even if you don't move very far, but far enough away that you not just a short walk back to all your favorite places. But you get a chance to yeah. see the kind of friends you make, the kind of people that that you get uh, that you get attracted to, you know, in terms of friend relationships and stuff. 
uh, really allows you to kind of get a sense of who you are as a person. And, you know, you start to wonder after a while, are these people my friends because we really have a lot in common? Or are they my friends just because we've been friends since whatever grade we were in? So it's a chance to really yeah. get a sense of who are the type of people you end up hanging around with and what kind of things, you know, are you interested in? And uh, I just, I felt I really grew as a, as a person. So I, I would highly recommend anybody who has the opportunity to just implant yourself somewhere else to definitely go ahead and do it. Huge thanks to today's guest for sharing their story with us and to you lovely listeners for joining us. This podcast would not be possible without my producer and audio engineer, Rich, who does so much work behind the scenes and who we will someday convince to have his own segment on the show. All of the music in this episode comes from The Agenda, Al Rowe, Mark Rankin, Will Hebbs, and our very own Rich De Silva. If you liked this episode, please tell your pals, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, and leave us a rating or review while you're at it. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Big Moves Podcast, where you'll find bonus content and amazing throwback photos from all of our guests.